بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد الصادق الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Mashallah, it's quite a turnout given the weather. So, Mashallah, Aniyan Lakum. So, as we've said before, when we began covering the meanings of the most beautiful names of Allah Ta'ala, the 99 names, we said that we are covering them in a very particular order. We said that order is based on the names of Allah Ta'ala mentioned in what chapter of the Qur'an? Surah Al-Hashar. So in Surah Al-Hashar, Allah Ta'ala gives us a particular arrangement of the names. And that arrangement in the end of Surah Al-Hashar is the beginning of the arrangement of the names, all 99, in the hadith recorded by Ibn Majah and others. Where the Prophet says, To Allah belongs 99 names, whosoever enumerates them shall enter paradise. That is the famous narration, what I just quoted to you now, but in the riwayah of Ibn Majah and some others, uh, Tirmidhi, you have the listing of those names. Now, there's different riwayah, different narrations of the listing, so there's some discrepancies, but we're going by the general. Tartib, the general arrangement. And today's names that we're covering are the last three names of the names mentioned in Surah Al-Hashar. What are those three names? Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari, Al-Musawwir. Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari, Al-Musawwir. These are the three names we're covering tonight, inshaAllah. So... These three names are very similar to each other. And so we have to explain all three of them together because it's difficult to understand one without understanding the other. And it's not always the case that we go into theology in this class, uh, but we have to because a lot of what we're talking about does touch on uh, our theology, what we believe regarding the attributes of God. And so we're going to cover some of that. If you were in the Fardain program, what we're going to say tonight is should be very familiar with you, maybe a little bit more detailed, but it is the same basic concepts that we covered earlier. So the first name of these three names is Al-Khaliq. And every translation of the 99 names will get this one the same, they'll say, the creator, because khalq is creation, so al-khaliq is the creator. So this name, al-khaliq, has been explained in various ways by the scholars. They say that al-khaliq is the one who creates entities. Now the word entity just means a shape, al-ashya, things. Creating is synonymous with originating. Now, you find in the Qur'an and in the hadith, there's different words, there's different terms for the act of creation. So you have khalq, but Allah Ta'ala also describes himself as فَاطِرُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ which means also the originator of the heavens and the earth. Fatir, in its primary Arabic meaning, it is to split or to crack open such that something emerges, right? And that is why we call iftar, iftar, because what do you do when you have iftar? You open your mouth and you put in food. So there's different words. Creating is synonymous with originating. And it means to bring something into existence 
out of nothing. So when we say out of nothing, nothing is not a substance. It's not a thing, right? It is to be created, to be given existence after Adam, after non-being, right? So Allah Ta'ala, who is Al-Khaliq, is the one who brings all things into existence and provides for them and sustains their continued existence. This is an important point because Allah is Khaliqu Kulli Shay. He is the creator of everything. And when Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says Khaliqu Kulli Shay, He uses a noun. And there's a significance in him using a noun and not a verb. Because if you use the verb in the past tense, Allah created in the past. But khaliqu kulli shay indicates that that creation of everything is constantly renewed. Constantly renewed. So every movement, every moment of stillness, in all harakat and sakanat, movement and stillness, every microscopic change within the human being, every blinking of an eye, every movement of cell, in cells in the body, whatever you want to conceive inside your body, these constant changes are the perpetual, renewed act of Allah's creation. So that, that heartbeat you just felt, Allah created that. Allah created that action of the heartbeat. So when you say Allah is the creator, it's not referring to something created in the past that is operating independently now on its own, autonomous. That's not what it means. He is the creator of everything. Everything has a renewed creation at every moment. So every moment is new. Everything is new. And uh, this is why some of the... Uh, some of the scholars would say that uh, boredom, you know, being bored, uh, boredom is the mistaken belief, or it comes from the mistaken belief that things are not changing, that things are static. Why do people get bored? Oh, there's nothing to do, you know, everything's just the same. But if you recognize that in yourself and everything around you, there's constant flux, and you witness that, and you know that's the constant creation of Allah, you realize there's always change going on. Not just in your life, not just in someone else's life, but in everything, even to the, 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 the level of the atom and beyond. So this act of creation is not just creating it and letting it go autonomously. It is continued existence. If Allah does not sustain our existence in every single moment, what would happen to us? We go back to our asl, our, our default, which is non-existence. هَلْ أَتَى عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ حِينُ مِنَ الدَّهْرِ لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْئًا مَذْكُورًا The beginning of Surah Al-Insan, Allah puts forth this rhetorical question, has not, there come, has not a time come upon man when he was nothing mentioned at all? Non-being. Adam Mahab, pure non-being. That is the origin. That's the default. It's through Allah's sustained existence that we have any existence. So the act of creation, what the scholars call takhliq, the act of creation is to bring a rationally possible thing into existence and thus has the same meaning as omnipotence, qudra. So you're going to see tonight that when we talk about the name Al-Khaliq, we are talking about a name that is describing the divine attribute of power, Udra. Right? And the name Al-Bari and Musawwir pertain, are names describing the attribute of Irada, of will. And Qudra and Irada these two divine attributes pertain to existence and creation, as you'll see. So that's the basic meaning of khaliq. The second name, al-bari, here this slide or this image is not from me. I just found it online. But I like the translation. It's okay. Here it says, al-bari, the maker of order, 
that's a good translation. I would probably keep it as just the maker. But that is the basic meaning of al-bari, the maker of order. Now, how is the maker different from the creator? The maker or the maker of order is the one who arranges every possible existence and prepares it to receive the form in which he creates it. So this is connected to Allah's will, his irada, because will is all about takhsis, about specification. So you can think about it, and we're going to look at an analogy that Imam al-Ghazali gives that explains the interrelationship between these three names. But al-Bari is linked to the divine will because it concerns, it's a name describing the one who specifies, specifies. What is specification? It's takhsis, right? As we'll get to soon, inshallah, once we go through the three names. So going back to what I just said a minute ago, the divine name al-Khaliq, the creator, is a name describing the one who has absolute qudra, absolute power. And the name al-Bari is a name describing the one who has absolute irada, will. These two divine attributes from the, quali- from the qualitative attributes of Allah Ta'ala, Sufat al-Ma'ani, power and will, are very important to understand. And we talked about them in the Aqidah 101 class of the Fardain. We're going to review some of that as we get through these names. So Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari, and what's the third one? Al-Musawwir. Al-Musawwir, we can translate as the fashioner or the shaper, the one who gives form. Because the word Musawwir, its root is, from its, we have the word Surah. Surah, what is a Surah? It's a form, right? In modern Arabic, a surah is a photograph or a picture, but that comes from surah, which is form. So the musawwir in modern Arabic, what would you call that person? The photographer, right? But al-musawwir is the giver of form or the fashioner. So he is the one, subhanahu wa ta'ala, who through his divine and infinite wisdom, gives every created thing its particular form. It gives it its particular form. So that is again specification. That is a name that is pointing to the divine will of irada, which is specification. So now we get to some of the technical stuff. And if this is new to you, just bear with us, inshallah, because we'll try to make it easy. This is really important, and once you understand it, it really opens the greater doors of understanding when it comes to the names and attributes. So the ulama say that it is by these three names that existence has manifested. So with the divine will, the irada of Allah, you have specification. With divine knowledge, there is mastery. And with power, there is vuhur, manifestation. So al-khaliq is the one who makes the thing manifest. Al-bari refers to the one who specifies the shape, the appearance, and when that created thing is going to appear. And al-musawwir, the fashioner, fashions them in accordance with his divine will. When you look at the three names from this perspective, you see that these are three names that we call Asma'ul Af'al. They are names designating divine actions. So we've looked at some of the previous divine names, and we said some of them are names designating divine actions, Af'al. Some of the names are names designating the divine essence, that. And these three names are names designating divine actions, the act of creation. The act of shaping and giving form and creating order and structure. So when we look at these three names, we see that there's a a kind of an analogy that can be made. Now we're talking about God here, so you can't make analogies with God. 
And whenever the scholars would try to explain these meanings and approximate the concepts, make them more readily understood, they would always preface that with the verse, the, the verse of the Qur'an where Allah says, To Allah belongs the highest similitude, meaning we only use analogies to make concepts easier to understand. We're not saying that the analogy fits perfectly with what we're actually trying to get at. Imam al-Ghazali gives an analogy in his work on the 99 names, al-Maqsud al-Asna. He talks about a building. And you see here this picture of this unfinished building. You have the foundation and you have the frame. And he says that a building, any building, needs first an appraiser. What's the appraiser do? They estimate what will be needed, how much wood, how many bricks, how much land, how much material will be needed to make this particular house. Who plays that role? It's the architect. The architect has the blueprints. From the blueprints, they have an idea of the square footage and therefore the amount of material needed. That's the appraiser. After you've done the appraisal and you have the blueprints, what do you need now? You need a person who's ready to get their hands dirty and do the actual work of building. So you need the building, the, the builder. They're responsible for the work. And when they begin building the house, they, of course, start with the foundation and they work their way up. They work their way up. They set the foundation. They set up the frame. They've built it inside and out. Now everything is formed. They have the drywall up. All the rooms, the carpet's been laid, or the wood floors, whatever. Now what do they need? They need a decorator. They need a decorator. Uh, in Imam Ghazali's analogy, he says to chisel its exterior and enhance its appearance. So you're thinking of a mud house. It's fancy. So they still have their carving into it. Basically, the idea is you need the aesthetic touches to make it beautiful and to give it a particular shape that makes it different from other houses. So you have the appraiser who has the blueprint and takes account of the material needed. You have the builder who does the work of constructing the house. And finally, you have the decorator, the person who is fixing the interior and the exterior, giving it a particular shape, look, color, pattern, and so on and so forth. So Imam al-Ghazali gives this analogy. And he says, this is what is customary in planning and building and designing among human beings. But it is not like this in the actions of Allah. It's not. Because He is the planner, the originator, and the designer without requiring this one or that one, or material even. Or even the idea of planning or thinking things through in the sense of not knowing what to do and then knowing. He is Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari, and Al-Musawwir, the planner, the originator, and the designer, all at once. But when you look at the appraisal process, the building process, and decorating process, you get some taqrib, some approximation of what we mean when we describe the meaning of Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari, and Al-Musawwir. So Al-Khaliq here would refer to the one who has the power to create. Al-Bari refers to the will to create and specify. And Al-Musawwir refers to the divine will of specifying the form and the shape internally and externally that thing is going to have. So you see all of these, these three names are all interrelated and they're very similar in meaning. So, as I said earlier, the divine attributes, al-sifatul aliyah, the divine attributes expressed in these three names are the attributes of qutra, power, divine power, and irada, divine will. This is where we have to talk about qudra and irada. What exactly do they mean, power and will, as divine attributes? And this is where... If you've attended the Fardain class, this is all now review. 
we say that qudra, divine power, is linked with every rationally possible thing. So anything that is rationally possible, right, is aqlan, then power, the power of Allah is linked with that. So that means that Allah's power is not linked with rational absurdities, nor is it linked with rational necessities. And that linkage of divine power is of, of ijad, of giving existence to something. So qudra relates to ijad, giving existence to something that is rationally possible. Ijadul mumkin, giving existence to something that is rationally possible. So power, divine power is this attribute of Allah Ta'ala by which all possible things are either brought into being or they're left non-existence according to divine will. So when Allah Ta'ala brings something into existence, it's in accordance with his will because with his power, he has the power to create and with his will, he decides when to create and how to specify that thing. So the two go hand in hand. So possible things are given existence. That's why we call them possible. They didn't always exist. And that means that they don't exist by themselves. Allah asked this rhetorical question. Were they created from nothing? Or are they their own creators? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he creates these possible things, they don't exist independently of themselves. It, their existence endures by Allah giving that thing continued existence. So this is where we are not deist, believing that Allah created everything and left it alone. Where things are just running independently. And this is why we also say we don't believe in what some people call divine intervention. Now, that's, that term is a bit ambiguous. There's a correct meaning to that. If by intervention you mean Allah does, breaks the empirical norm through a miracle in a miraculous way, in a very difficult situation, in a miraculous way, yeah, that would be a correct meaning. But by divine intervention, what we don't mean by that is uh, things operate independently until God decides otherwise. No, nothing operates independently. Allah is constantly creating and recreating, and everything is by Allah's creation thereof. When you drink water, you say figuratively, the water quenches your thirst. But in reality, it's Allah who quenches the thirst. And that quenching is in conjunction with drinking the water. It's not the water doing it. Fire doesn't burn independent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fire, Allah creates the effect of burning in conjunction with the fire. Not with the fire as a tool, but in conjunction with it. Ar-Rabtul Adi. Anyhow, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. But that's divine power. Divine power relates to ijadul mumkin, giving existence to a possible thing. Divine will, on the other hand, irada, is what brings about specification of that possible thing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies the different modes of possible existence. How tall you are, how short you are, where you're from, when are you born, to what family, what physical features, what shape will you have, uh, what color skin you will have, all, what color eyes, all of the, we have an almost near infinite number of uh, specifications that relate to us. Who decides those things? Like surely we didn't decide what family we were born into. We didn't decide what country we were born into. We didn't decide anything about our form. We didn't decide when to be born. We made no decision regarding that. Who decided? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So we say that divine power relates to giving existence to a possible thing, and divine will relates to the specification of the different modes or features of that possible thing. So someone had to choose when, where, to whom, in what circumstance. Someone made a decision. It definitely wasn't us because we didn't exist. And that decision, that's his specification, that is the exercise of Allah's irada, his will. So the name Al-Badi is connected to irada, divine will. The name Musawwir, the giver of form, is connected to divine will. So, and this is similar to what I was just saying, choices are being made before we're given existence. You know, our being or not being are equally possible, right? So if you think about a scale, one scale pan says exist, the other one says not exist. We exist, which means that the exist side of the scale pan tilted, it lowered, tilted in our favor. Okay, where does that preponderance come from? Right? Allah Ta'ala, He made the decision. So we say that power originates and will specifies. So these two attributes of Qudra and Irada are the attributes uh, that we see described in these three names. Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari, Al-Musawwir. And the thing about Qudra and Irada, Allah's power and Allah's will, is that belief in them and understanding them is important to, to, to know them so that we really know what we're saying in all of the dhikr that we say. Because we have so many forms of remembrance of God that evoke this concept of belief in Allah's power and will. When you want to do something, then you tell someone, I'll see you tomorrow. What do you say after that? Insha'Allah, if Allah wills. So you're linking your act to Allah's irada. Something good happens, someone has a nice whatever, and you say, Allah. You know, it is what Allah has willed. So that is the expression of your belief in Allah's will, His irada. Something happens that's stressing you out, and you say, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Right? So you're saying there's no movement or power except by Allah. So these phrases are from our daily remembrance of Allah. And this principle belief in Allah's power and will animate our spirituality. They inform our dhikr. Everything is willed by Allah Ta'ala. So to understand the linkage of power and will, it's essential if you're going to understand the qadr of Allah Ta'ala. It is. So we don't assume that things happen accidentally. We don't assume that there's coincidences. We don't believe that things are just happenstance and that there's no wisdom behind why these things are occurring. We don't believe that things are just mundane and haphazard. Things happen. Nothing is random, right? If a fly flew across this room and landed on your head, that wasn't random. You couldn't have planned it. You had no knowledge of it. It seems random because it just happened out of nowhere, but it's not random. The creator of that fly created within it, in that moment, the power to fly and the ability to fly and will that it fly in that particular time, in that particular direction, and it just so happened that you happened to be in that particular angle where it was flying in its path and it just happened to land on you. It seems like an accident. So there's no accidents. This is really helpful 
when you're thinking about the good things that come into your life and when you think about the difficulties that come into your life. Allah does not make mistakes. There are no accidents. We don't always understand the wisdom or the reasons, but we are finite human beings. Our intellectual capacity in the grand scheme of things is less than children in the world of adults. A young toddler does not have the intellectual capacity to understand the decisions of the parents about what it's wearing, what it's eating, and when it takes medicine. They don't. When they get older, they start to understand that. So if that's the case for a toddler who doesn't understand, well, I have this cough, yeah, okay, but you're giving me this really nasty medicine, the medicine tastes bad, therefore it's bad, the medicine is evil. Why would you give this evil thing to me, mommy and daddy? But as they get older, they recognize that, yes, it tastes nasty, but there is a hikmah behind that. There's a reason. I know now why my parents were giving me that. It's still nasty, but at least now I know. So if that's the case for a toddler as they get a little bit older, what about a grown man or a grown woman not really understanding why Allah has willed certain things to happen? they're less than the toddler because the toddler is still a human being and it's just their toddler wisdom hasn't caught up to the wisdom of the adults but they can catch up at some point but there's no there's no stage where a person will catch up and have any ilm ihati comprehensive knowledge of Allah's wisdom in all of his decisions but one thing about this is on the Day of Judgment, we see how things play out, and we see that things play out exactly as they should have. We just don't know how they're going to play out. We don't always know why things are playing out the way they are. But knowing Qudra and Irada are important to reflecting on this. Okay, I'm going to skip a few slides because we kind of touched on them already. The power and will are linked to rational possibilities. So they're not linked to absurdities, they're not linked to necessary things. So I'll skip the atheist trick question, unless you want me to do it. You want me to do it? Okay. Uh, some of you remember this. The atheist trick question. They have this question they use to try to trip up and trick people who believe in God. They say, can God create a stone? that is too heavy for him to lift. Now, the first thing you have to understand is that you should never feel pressured to answer every question with either a yes or a no. Don't do that. Some questions are not to be answered with a yes or a no because the questions themselves assume something that is absurd in the first place. Begging the question. Right? You don't say yes or no. What do you say? Very simply, you say the, the power of Allah is linked with rationally possible things. Meaning, His power is not linked with rational absurdities. That's the simple answer. Now, why is that the case? Because 1 plus 1 equaling purple is it's just words put together. They have no meaning. Square, circle. These are, it's a contradiction in terms. So power does not relate to something that is absurd on its very face. It's not even a thing to begin with. A square circle is not a thing that one would be able or not able to create. You understand? They're just two terms put together. Each term contradicts the other in meaning. It doesn't make any sense. So... What you don't want to answer is yes or no. Because you see the trap, right? You see the trap? Because if you say, can God create a stone that's too heavy for him to lift? If you say yes, you're saying, you are affirming that God has the power to create the stone, but you're saying he can't lift it. 
And if you say no to the question, you're saying no, God does not have the power to create the stone that he can't lift. So whether you answer yes or no, they're trying to force you to negate qudra, Allah's omnipotence. So the answer is not yes or no. The answer is the question is absurd on the face of it because Allah's power relates to things that are rationally possible. They're not related to rational impossibilities, absurdities. So that's the correct answer. So that it's important to understand that. Um, you don't say uh, you don't say yes, you don't say no, and you don't want to get caught into the word games where you end up saying something that's bad adab, right? And the same thing goes for every other absurdity. You don't say, Allah cannot create a child for himself. You say, no, Allah's power does not relate to absurdities. That's absurd. So it's just negated on the face of it, right? Because if you say no, it, it implies that it's, it's something conceivable, but it can't be done. No, it's not even conceivable. It's just absurd on the face of it. So this is the importance of language. I'll skip that. Okay, so now we come to the last part. The connection, cultivation, and realization. Now I'm taking these from the words of Shaykh Ahmad ibn Ajiba. And he puts the three, of, the three names together. So he doesn't give separate descriptions for each name. So for connection, ta'alluq, how do you connect devotion with to these three names? Al-Khaliq, Al-Bari, Al-Musawwir, the creator, the maker, and the fashioner. He says, cast yourself before the one who alone is described with the acts of creating and fashioning, and who alone brings things into existence and disposes of their affairs. And he takes care of them. By doing this, you shall remove yourself from selfish calculation, tadbir. Free yourself from inner turmoil, for the real cultivator of a tree is the one who waters it. And you will turn to your creator and relinquish all claims to power and strength. This passage is surprisingly complex. Uh, I think most of us can read that and understand the gist of what he's saying, but he's actually alluding to something far deeper. And, he, and the clue for that is the usage of the word tadbir. This word tadbir here is translated as selfish calculation. Tadbir can be understood as selfish calculation. Uh, it could be understood as obsessing over the outcome or obsessively trying to micromanage every little detail about your life to the point where you act as if it's all on you and if it doesn't happen from you, it's not going to happen. And taking you away from this tawakkul in Allah, trust in Allah, it's a very deep concept and it's possibly misunderstood by some. And this is why it's been spoken about extensively by scholars um, of course, the most famous work on this is At-Tanwir fi Isqat al-Tadbir uh, by Imam Ibn Ata'illah, a whole book on the topic called uh, Enlightenment in dropping this obsessiveness over calculations and this and that. And he's alluding to this because if you know Allah created you from nothing, He sustains you constantly, He's promised you risk. Why all the stress? Now it's easy to affirm that here, right? But then, you know, you got to work. You know, things cost money. You got to buy food. There's inflation, gas prices. You know, people get stressed about that stuff. So that whole book was basically trying to present a Quran-centric, analysis of the phenomena of 
Allah creating and sustaining us while we're still stressing out about every little detail, as if Allah is not sustaining us. So he tries to address that topic, and that's what is called tadbir. So I think we'll probably leave it at that. That's, we're going to come back to tadbir uh, later on when we cover some of the other names that are connected to that, when we talk about ar-razaq. We'll be talking a lot about tadbir, uh, maybe for two sessions. So cultivation, now cultivation is the, the domain of action, what we're going to do. Connection is dua, you know, turning to Allah, asking for that state. Now cultivation is the work that we have to do. At-takhalluq, to adopt as our quality of character these names. He says you should cultivate these names and your character by purifying your meditation. Now meditation is a horrible word in English. Because it does, it, it has so many possible meanings. And in Arabic, there's no one word for that concept. Here the word is fikra. So you could think of that as also reflection, contemplation, right? Purify that and sharpen it until it bestows you with multiple forms of knowledge and you yield from them wisdoms and sciences. So you basically... Cultivate these names at Khaliq al Bari and Al Musawir by your intellective, your intellectual faculty, by contemplating, by reflecting, by using that faculty to think deeply and make connections between two things, giving you a third thing. Uh, using that function so that you grow in knowledge. Using the tools Allah gave you. Allah gave you fitrah. Allah gave you aql, Allah gave you these qualities, al-quwa al-khayaliyya, al-quwa al-wahmiyya. He gave you the estimative faculties, the imaginal faculties, the contemplative faculties, the intellect, the heart. Use them. That's what he's saying. Because when you use them, they produce something. You're not the creator of that thing. But by using them, something is produced from them. Not that you're a creator of anything but something is produced by using the intellect, by using the faculty of, of the heart and the aql and so on. He says you should also cultivate these names by perfecting your works so that you become one of the people of ihsan, one of the muhsinin. So it's not that you're creating your own actions. We don't believe that as Muslims. Wallahu khalaqakum wa ma ta'amalun. Allah says Allah created you and what you do. It's not that we believe we're creating our own actions, but we cultivate the meanings of the names by trying to uh, perfect what we do. Ihsan. Ihsan is perfection, it's mastery, it's attention to detail, it's doing the right thing the right way with excellence and attention to detail. And that expresses itself in ibadah to Allah and ta'budullah ka'annaka tara. That you worship Allah as though you see Him. And it manifests itself in how we are with other people. It manifests itself when we have responsibilities. That we don't cut corners. You know? So this is what he's saying. And it's not that you're creating, but you're giving beauty to the things you do. And that's Ihsan. So that you are from the people of Ihsan, the Muhsinin. The last one. He says, you will realize these names experientially by actualizing the maqam of ihsan, the station of spiritual excellence. Where you actually become mutahaqqiq in, in that station. That, that's where you, you are, right? You go from being a Muslim to a mu'min, and then from being a mu'min to a muhsin, the highest degree of a person. And that is the station of That you worship Allah as though you see Him And if you do not see Him, you know that He sees you So, and thus He says You become Allah's Khalifa on His earth The Vicegerent Whereby His creation receive their provision through your hands And your acts are reflections of His acts And your command is a reflection of His command uh, what does he mean by that? He's referring to the Hadith Qudsi, where the Prophet ﷺ says that Allah says, 
that my servant does not draw near to me with anything more beloved than what I've made obligatory on him. And he continues to draw near to me with voluntary acts, hatta uhibban, so I love him. And when I love him, I become his eyes by which he sees, his ears by which he hears, his hand by which he grasps, his foot by which he walks, you know the hadith. So he's alluding to that, that the person is such a high degree of ihsan and awareness of these names that, as he says, as a khalifa, acting as that special creation, the human being, the actualized human, they act in such a way that creation receive provision through their hands because they are stewards of the earth, managing the earth properly. They receive provision through their hands. And your actions are reflections of Allah's actions, meaning when you do something, it is by Allah, for Allah, with awareness of Allah, and in conformity with the Sharia of Allah. So everything fits in place. And your command is a reflection of His command. So when you're giving a command, it's not from your nafs. It is simply commanding what Allah wants to be commanded. It's not coming from your ego. This is the high station of Ihsan, the realization of these three names, the Creator, the Maker, and the Fashioner. And uh, that will be it for these names, inshaAllah ta'ala. And we will pick up after this. What's the next name? Al-Ghaffar. Al-Ghaffar. So next week is we're talking about forgiveness. And that brings us into a whole discussion about sins and forgiveness and tawbah and these things and how Allah forgives. So inshallah we'll pick up next week talking about that. والله ورسوله أعلم وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم. Any questions? Yes. Uh, so the the name Al Khaliq. Let me go back to that slide. Um, the name Al-Khaliq is a divine name. And the meaning of that divine name points to the attribute of Qudra or divine power. And divine power relates to giving existence to things that are possible. The names Al-Bari and Al-Musawwir, the maker and the fashioner, our names, these two names, point to the attribute of irada, of divine will. Because divine will relates to specification of that possible thing. So we, we would say that with qudra, with divine power, there is origination. And with irada, there is specification. Yeah, uh, yeah so this is just looking at... because. It, we we're talking about the attributes. We're not talking about a, a temporal order where there's, you know, in time, you know, one and then another. That's just a rational ordering in our minds just to conceptualize what these are. So we would say that Allah's qudra and Allah's irada uh, bring existence to a possible thing and its specification in accordance with his divine knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. So we'll go back to those. So this is in the second slide, or is it the I think it was, it was in cultivation, realization. This one, right? So you, he says, you will realize these names by actualizing the station of ihsan, and thus become Allah's Khalifa on His earth, 
whereby his creation received their provision through your hands and your acts are reflections of his acts and your command is a reflection of his command. So when a person has ihsan, there's, there's actually two aspects to ihsan. And those two aspects are mentioned in the hadith, Jibreel, where he says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, أَن تَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَى That's number one. وَإِن لَمْ تَكُنْ تَرَاهُ فَإِنَّهُ يَرَاكَ That's number two. That you worship Allah as though you see Him. And if you do not see Him, you know that He sees you. So here, within Ihsan as a station, there, there's even a higher and a lower, you know, relative to that station. So, because there's the conditional. Anyway, you know, And the scholars say that the Prophet ﷺ begins with the higher, and then he mentions the one that's below it. The higher, and to worship Allah as though you see Him. They say this is the maqam of mushahada. And mushahada, I guess you could translate as witnessing. It's not that you literally see God, but it's a kind of witnessing a, a deep certainty where it's as if those realities are witnessed for you. Right? The heart is opened at a very high level. If the person doesn't have that, then they have the second portion. If you do not see him, you know that he sees you. And that maqam is called the maqam of muraqaba, of, of vigilance and deep awareness. So it's an awareness, a constant awareness that Allah is watching me, but it's a degree lower than mushahada. Like mushahada is the highest, right? We're talking about the states of the anbiya and the rusul and akabir al-awliya, Sahaba al-kiram, you're talking about something really high. So when a person is in that really high station, and here you know, I'm, I'm talking about what they have described themselves, not as someone who's been on that journey and come back and I can tell you what it looks like having been there. I'm not talking like that. I'm just telling you what they say. Um, at that high level, what he says makes perfect sense. Because you, there are certain realities that we intellectually affirm because they're in the Qur'an and we know they're true. And we have iman in them. For example, Allah says, وَاللَّهُ خَلَقَكُمْ وَمَا تَعْمَنُونَ Allah created you and what you do. Allah speaks the truth. But what does that mean? Allah created you and what you do? We just prayed Isha. What do you, how do you ascribe that act to yourself? You say, I prayed Isha. The nisbah, the ascription of the action is to you, isn't it? And it's totally legit because you had some acquisition, some kasb of that. But the issue was Allah created that. So what they're describing is a station of awareness where when a person prays, for instance, they, it's as if they're witnessing this as Allah creating it for them in that very moment. It's like a divine gift Allah gave them. It's not my salah. You know, here's my salah that I'm giving to Allah. No. It, this is the gift Allah gave me. I'm witnessing Allah's creation of this act in real time as I do it. Yet I'm the doer, but I'm not the doer. And then it's this hayra's perplexity. I am the doer. Allah affirmed it. And where do you see that? You see that in Surah Al-Anfal. وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَى Allah says, you did not throw when you threw. But it was Allah who threw. Have you really thought about that? Allah begins with a negation. You didn't throw when you threw. Which is ithbat. That's the affirmation that he threw. However, it was Allah who threw. So who threw? It depends on your frame of reference. What is the vantage point from which you speak? If you speak on the level of just visible experience among human beings, we, if you were there, you would say, the Prophet ﷺ, he is the one who threw. And yes, of course, the miracle was that the dust traveled very far into the eyes of the mushrikeen. He, but he still threw, right? 
from that perspective, you, you ascribe the act to him. But in terms of absolute efficacy and the creation of the act and the outcome of the act, who's creating all of that? Allah Ta'ala. So Allah says, you didn't throw when you threw. It's not a contradiction. It's just a different vantage point. So that's kind of what he's getting at here. Right. And ashkurullah ala shukrillah. Right. So when you say alhamdulillah, that's Allah gave you the tawfiq for that. So that's a gift. What is required of you when you receive a gift? Gratitude. So you express gratitude, but Allah gave you tawfiq for that. So that requires what? More gratitude. Is this never ending? Chain. This never in this is like this this loop of shukr. Yeah, so that's the gist of what he's saying, inshallah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so the brother's asking about the, the ayah Corruption has appeared on land and on sea Due to what people's hands have earned There are various levels On which we can speak about that Um if we speak about it on the basic level of core theology, we mention that the verse "Zahar al-fasad fil bar wal bahar bima kasabat aydin nas." The ba here is ba asababiyah, so it is the material cause. The material cause isn't creating the effect; it's just the secondary cause. Allah creates the effect in conjunction with the cause and links the effects to the causes uh, in the cosmos as well as in sharia. But ultimately, it's the act of God. But the act of God is established in certain patterns. There are certain patterns or divine habits, the, the ada of Allah, so to speak. And the ada of Allah or the divine patterns are that when people sow corruption in the earth, there comes a consequence, and that consequence is the corruption spreading on land and on, and on sea. So human beings don't have such autonomy that they can force God's hand, as, we, as people say. But the divine act is linked to these effects, but Allah is, creates the effects in conjunction with those causes, right? It's a complex issue of acquisition and kesp and the notion of human responsibility. And there's an even higher level discourse on that. So usually in these things, we're trying to maintain a balance. We're trying to look at it from the zahir and the batin, where we have sharia and haqiqah. It's always important to maintain the balance. So, for example... The Sharia tells you that you have to provide for your family. That means for us men, we have to work, we have to provide them, right? That's Sharia. Sharia says you shouldn't beg unless it's absolutely life or death. That's Sharia. But the haqiqah, the reality is that when you do that, you realize that it is Allah Ta'ala who gives you the tawfiq. It's Allah who gives the risk. It ultimately all comes from Him. So as you are using the asbab, Outwardly, inwardly, your heart is attached to Allah and trusting in Allah. So the scholars say, the one who neglects the asbab, they are violating the sunnah. And whoever neglects trust in Allah, they are violating tawheed. So perfection is to keep both of them in balance. Where you have, you interact with the asbab, but inwardly you know the reality and you're recognizing Allah is a raziq and your trust is in him, but you're using the asbab as asbab. So we have this zahir and batin. It's important. Bainahuma barzakhun la It's important to maintain that barzakh between the two. 
because spirituality does, is not law, right? That's a longer discussion. We'll have that another time. Yeah, back to that. Yeah, I meant to say that. How do you know? The scholars say that it depends on your response. It depends on your response. It, how do you know something bad happens to you? How do you know, is that a, a test from Allah by which you receive tathir, purification, and elevation, and refinement? And how do you know whether it's a punishment? The answer to that is in your response to it. If you respond to it knowing لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله إن لله وإن إليه راجعون رضيت بالله ربا right if that's the response then this is a test but it's a purification and elevation but if the response to that test is uh, displeasure with Allah's decree anger and resentment at God or going deeper in the causes meaning معصية sins and things like that well that's a sign that it's a punishment Right, uh, that's a sign of a of a punishment that could get worse, or it could be a purification. Uh, so it all depends on the response of the person. Yeah. There is an English translation. It's in English. It is. I think it's illumination through dropping self-direction. But you have to be careful. There are two translations. Uh, maybe I can put a link to the actual, the good translation on the WhatsApp group. Because the, the more readily available translation on Amazon is you should avoid that. Run from it like the plague. I won't say why. <laughs> Uh, let's just say the translator, horrible, a horrible job. Um, the Arabic is at tanwir fi isqat tadbir. Any question? I don't know if you have enough time, but I think this just names perfectly apply to how we can do things for our brothers and sisters. How you can, like, you know, like everybody blaming things and blaming and how you can just now, like, when you know the same. Yeah, we had a group here today from a university. Someone asked a question similar to this. And I, I said something along the lines of history is in good hands. History is in good hands. We as Muslims don't believe in the notion of perpetual progress moving into the future. We don't believe that things just get better every generation. As long as we keep working at developing some more technology as we advance, we'll, we'll solve all the problems, we'll reach utopia. No, we don't believe that. It's actually a downward spiral. And you have ups and downs, in the in in the time in the times we're in, but it's a general downward spiral, and that's supported by the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, where he says that there's no time except the time before it, or the time after it is worse than it. So we tend to look fondly on the past, and we look at our current situation. We see that it's worse. Sometimes we're projecting in the past, but often it's real because things do get progressively worse. But ultimately, history is in good hands because we don't know how long any of us have in this life and what's actually going to transpire between our lives and the next generation. But as Muslims, we have certainty in certain eschatological realities, right? I don't talk about Palestine that much because I, I can. I mean, I can, but if I do, I'm going to say things that, I don't know, just because I feel very strongly. And my genuine belief is that you, know, you want an end to suffering. You also want an end to oppression. That, I don't believe, gets solved 
fully and completely with a complete solution to that problem until the Mahdi. That is not a call for inaction, assuming that that's a thousand years away. That's just being realistic and in, in realizing that we're in a very difficult situation where the Muslim Ummah is very weak, right? But history is in good hands. You don't know when that's going to be, right? So when that happens, what do you have? You have absolute tathir. All of this stuff is gone. The Mahdi comes after the earth has filled completely with oppression and tyranny. That's the environment in which he emerges. What is the darkest time of night? Right before Fajr. Right before Fajr. So in the darkest point of the night, that is right before the, the Fajr. And the, and, the dark, and the deepest part of difficulty is right before the Faraj. But we have to be open to receiving that Faraj from Allah Ta'ala, using the asbab and uh, taking the spiritual means of being deserving of that and being open to that. So, yeah. Allah Ta'ala is Al-Khaliq. He creates all these states. He is Al-Bari. He fashions and shapes everyone. And what we see is the playing out of Allah's decree in every single moment. Right? Everything happens exactly as Allah knows it to happen, as He knows it to be. Nothing takes Him by surprise. He's not waiting for anything to happen that, he's not, that He doesn't know about. We don't know about it, but He does. Yeah. Walhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khairan.